Hi, I'm Steve Lodori. And I'm Akiva Bibi. Together, we'll be talking to leading innovation experts from across the world who are going to share how they've been keeping themselves busy during this time of disruption. That is, reinventing themselves, their teams, and their businesses at breakneck speed so that they can be ready for the new normal. Really excited to have Scott Cooper, who is the president and CEO of Trust Beverages. He's going to tell us all about that. Uh, Scott and I actually met when he was the VP of Global Innovation for Molson, Molson Coors in Denver, Colorado. And I believe his uh, new assignment, in fact, I know his new assignment, is, uh, is up outside of Toronto, Canada. Uh, Scott's been a world-class member of the great Molson Coors organization for, I believe, 25 years. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to his comments and thoughts on being disrupted. Uh, yeah, unless you've lived under a rock, uh, COVID aside, the uh, the beverage industry, I would say particularly the alcoholic and the beer beverage industry, has been under tremendous disruption for the last 10 years. And so we're going to talk to Scott about that, alternative beverages, things like that. So, Scott, thank you very much for joining us. And if I could ask you, just maybe say hello and give us a little bit of a, of a preview of your, your background, and then we'll kind of dive into what's going on in your world of innovation. Thanks, Steve. Uh, thanks for inviting me to join you. Uh, excited to have a quick discussion. Um, first of all, you, you've aged me somewhat. I've only been with, or I was only with Molson Coors for 12 years, not 25. Oh, sorry uh, about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, and I, I guess I would just describe my background as uh, kind of largely packaged goods, commercial, a number of different sales and marketing roles. Um, had the great fortune of uh, kind of being involved with innovation throughout including early in my career with uh, Unilever on the marketing side. Spent a couple of years with a large grocery chain in Canada called Sobeys, where I led R&D and the private label. We launched about 350 products a year as, as part of my remit there. Um, and then most recently, leading global innovation for, uh, for Molson Coors, as you mentioned. How did you find the, um, the transition from, let's say, classic packaged goods such as you would have had in, in, in Unilever to packaged goods, but with obviously the twist of regulation and distribution issues that you find in the alcoholic beverage industry? Not materially different. I, I think um, I may have just been the, the times, but I'd say alcohol tends to move a little more quickly. Um, I had the opportunity going from packaged goods to retail where the pace of Innovation is ridiculous. As I mentioned, we were launching a product a day on average. Um, and I found alcoholic beverages somewhere between the kind of more classical CPG, like a Unilever and, uh, and grocery. Uh, if they, the regulations, I mean, once you're aware of them, you just figure out how to work around and, and with them. And it wasn't much of a barrier in the end. So you had Canada, you had the U.S., you have international. And Molson Coors is a pretty big conglomerate at this this point, any particular challenges or learnings that you can offer from from doing that? We have a lot of uh, you know listeners who are global, but we have a lot of listeners who are you know doing a startup themselves and just really in one country with what they do. Yeah, I can describe it at uh, Molson Coors. We had four operating units at the time that I was there, and we set ourselves the goal of you know any innovation that we work on on a global level. There's still local teams in in the various operating units. Uh, but to, to kind of qualify or for us to spend attention at the global level, it had to be an idea that could deliver $50 million in revenue within three years. And it had to be relevant in at least two of the business units 
from a geography perspective. And it was interesting that, you know, the, the ideas that were relevant across all four business units were somewhat rare. Uh, so finding big ideas that would work in two or three is often where we landed just from a regulations, maturity of the industry, you know, local consumer taste preferences. I'm hoping you could take us back a little bit to your, your role as the, um, the VP for global, global innovation. Um, how the heck, you know, what, what, what was it like? And to some extent, you're still in the industry, of course. What was it like being in, you know, one of the large multinationals during the you know, explosion of the craft beer craze and getting people to understand, hey, we are being disrupted. I'm not sure if you use that term, but, you know, yeah. someone from the outside. And what were some of the challenges you'd have uh, from a business standpoint slash culture standpoint? And I'm sure Kiva's going to want to ask some leadership leadership questions, but what you know, what was it like kind of helping to lead the charge, so to speak? Yeah, like, I, like I'm sure many people have been in roles like these. It was uh, exciting and almost bordering on exhilarating as you kind of look at some of the ideas you're focused on. They, they can change the world, and that, that's just incredibly motivating, at least at least for me. Uh, and then at the same time, incredibly frustrating where, you know, you, you kind of see a clear path, you've got an idea, uh, but just the number of stakeholders to get aligned and, uh, and you know, even just getting resources, uh, really difficult. Uh, so I was, I mean, it was described the, if a typical job is kind of a flat line, I would describe this as a job with incredible peaks and incredible valleys emotionally and from an energy perspective. Over time, were you able to begin building a, you know, a, a process? I don't not, not so much in governance, but were you able to get to get traction and get more and more folks to do it, or did you feel the battle was never never ending? No, I mean we definitely made progress and feel really good about what we delivered. I, I mean, I don't think you can be in these jobs and you know, ever feel completely fulfilled at the end. I mean, there's always undone work or things, you know, you wish you'd been able to move faster or get done. Um, but, but, uh, between kind of the first year and second year in the role, we, we benchmarked ourselves externally with an organization called the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, which measures companies across a, a huge range of measures, uh, and sustainability from an environmental perspective, but also from a business continuity. And in the business continuity, one of the things they measure is, innovation capability. And, and the first year we were benchmarked at 54th percentile globally. Uh, and in this, by the second year we had moved up to the 98th percentile. Wow. Um, so we, we learned a lot of lessons, uh, made some good progress and, um, but definitely put it, that was a result of putting in place some kind of systems and, and learning and process along the way. I mean, one of the things I'm hearing, which I'd love to hear more about is, is sort of, I guess there's key ingredients, how you drove, I mean, you talk about the frustration of the various stakeholders. I mean, what are those key leadership characteristics that you saw coming up that helped you clear the path, you know, create all that innovation capability? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably describe it in terms of, I'm not sure these are leadership characteristics. If I think of leadership characteristics, you know, resilience uh, and kind of having belief in your ideas, uh, pushing through, uh, empathy in, in being able to relate to your stakeholders and, and put yourselves in their shoes. And, you know, an example of that is the business I'm leading now is, is a cannabis business. And, uh, when we first raised that at Molson Coors, 
there's a lot of emotion around that and you know, being being able to listen and understand and empathize with all those perspectives was really uh, key for us in being able to um, I mean to say convince others does sounds almost but bring others along the journey and, and help them uh, see the vision uh, that we saw uh, for the potential business as well. I mean, it, I mean, something you mentioned earlier about driving this sort of bold vision. I mean, how, how did how did you get? Because that can often obviously bring people together. I mean, so how did it show up? I guess a lot of the listeners are going, "Hey, if I could replicate what you're doing, how could I take that to my business? What does it look like to get multiple stakeholders to kind of go on the same journey to establish that vision and?" Like, did you see anything that really stood out as, as like, wow, those are yeah. amazing behaviors, characteristics that our executive team had, for example? Yeah, I mean, if I guess start very way back at the beginning, um, I think one of the most important things that we did that enabled some success was being really clear about our goals. Uh, we uh, looked at the kind of overall trajectory of the business, uh, where the business wanted to be. And, you know, from that, you're, you know, basically able to determine what role does innovation need to play in the success of this business? Uh, so being explicit about what we were going to deliver to the business uh, financially went a long way towards getting engagement and resources. It wasn't just a, you know, a hobby, a side project. It was something that was going to deliver tangible results to the business. So that, that would be, I'd say, the first thing. Then the second thing was, the pace and type of innovation and being really clear. And I think most organizations or at least large ones have this notion of horizon one, two or three, or some call it kind of renovation yep. through disruption. Yep, exactly. Uh, and, and I think you know, once you've grounded yourself in the practical operating needs of the business, you realize that you cannot hit that goal, or at least we realized that we could not hit that goal just with renovation. They're, they're absolutely I mean, the number of new products, new flavors that are core brand, it was, you know, dozens and dozens. There's just no way to pro- practically execute it. So that really opened the organization's eyes and our eyes to the fact that we needed to move into more disruptive initiatives that had much more uh, material scale. Uh, and, and we ended up, you know, established the goal, uh, look at what needs to be delivered on a short-term versus medium to long-term and then allocate the resources between those, in our case, we call them horizon one, which is the near in immediate and, and how much resource and time we were going to spend on the more disruptive. So that, that would be the, the second thing, Akiva. So be clear about the goals, understand how you're going to get there a type against the different types of innovation. And, and then the third thing was being really clear about capabilities. And, and this was probably more of a learning journey. Uh, but certainly realized over time that the type of capability, mindset, resources required to deliver a true disruptive initiative is fundamentally different than delivering a new flavor uh, on an existing brand. And, and that took us longer to figure out and put in place. When you, when you say longer, like what's, what did that look like? You're talking months, talking a year? I would say a year plus. And I would also... Say it's, I'm not sure it's ever a journey that's complete. Yeah. And, and one of the most difficult things we had to overcome was, was mindset. And, and in a publicly traded company, appropriately, we're focused on quarterly results and you know, delivering what our shareholders expect of us. Uh, at the same time, 
bringing in the mindset of that longer term, knowing that well, short term results are important. So is investing in the future and just helping our own team balance how we came to the business. So we're not just talking about disruption and ignoring the short term means, but, but nor are we just focused on the short term and, and helping the entire organization get their head around that uh, was a journey. And I, I think probably an ongoing journey for most organizations. It's, it's not a right or wrong. It's a balance. I mean, was, was there a specific element that helped you? Cause lots of organizations try to do that and they really fail at it. Yeah. So was was there specific like the executive was a key sponsor? I mean, was there something specific that you put in place that really helped you kind of achieve that? I mean, sponsorship certainly helps. Uh, one of the things we did was bring in a uh, we called an entrepreneur in residence, which again I know a lot of large companies have started to do. Uh, but there was one particular initiative in the disruptive space that we were trying to bring to life, and uh, like typical big company team that we were we thought it out for five years we knew exactly what it was going to require to get there we knew it was going to cost us tens of millions of dollars and went went to the executive team with our proposal and they said uh no way (laughs) so uh so we 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 phoned up our entrepreneur in residence or actually he was there in denver with us so spoke to him and said listen as a this this individual his name's mike stemple he's done 20 plus startups some of been wildly successful. Many have failed. Um, so we asked him as an entrepreneur, how do you realize your vision and get the resources you need to get there? And his response was that he only worries about the next quarter. Yeah, you know, he gets the funds for the next quarter and then he goes back to his stakeholders and raises more money. And it was it was this aha moment for us that just unlocked a completely different way of working. And and the, what we implemented is still really important to have that vision and, and know where you're going. But we then we then just kind of broke it down into quarters and went back to the executive team and said, still believe in this. This is still where we're going, but we're only asking for $400,000 for the next quarter. And here's what we're going to come back and deliver to indicate that we're on the right path or we're not on the right path. Uh, and it was just, it was this incredibly liberating yeah. mechanism to help everyone kind of move past the barrier of, of mindset but equally, from an operations perspective, it also unlocks some pretty incredible things where we weren't committing any of our resources for more than a quarter. So if an idea didn't work out or we weren't getting the evidence we needed, we could shift those resources to another one. It just allowed us to be uh, much more nimble as well. Fascinating. It, it's, it's fascinating to hear that because I'd say the quarter-to-quarter mentality is, is very much akin to the, you know, the lean startup methodology which of yeah, course is, which which is adopted from the startup world which you know the, the the circle is complete and in the in the world that I've been doing with large corporate clients whether it's through my Ligori innovation business or the corporate entrepreneur community you you find the frustrations you're talking about and I think one of the key pivots is the learning from hey let's quit trying to sell the mega project that's going to cost 10 million 5 million 20 20 million because that's how big companies think to let's adopt the, adopt the startup mentality internally and go and go from there. So I think that was a really, really, really cool learning. A, a side question I meant to ask you earlier, as part of the challenge here, did you have to redefine who your market was and who your customers was? And, I, and, I, you know, and, you know, and maybe my mindset is, 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 is locked in what you used to do, but did you think of yourself as a beer company or a beverage company? Because 
I'm, you know, and I want to, then I want to talk about your, you know, your new journey and your new position, but you know, how did you get people's minds open? Did you have to like formally redefine what the marketplace was or how did you do that? I mean, first of all, very much define ourselves as a beverage company. And in fact, in the, uh, the last, um, I mean, Molson Coors, I think in November, I got the timing slightly wrong, uh, but, but changed their name from Molson Coors Brewing Company to, sorry, to Molson Coors Beverage Company, ah. uh, which was, I think, embedding the journey that we'd been on uh, as a team. Uh, so, I mean, pretty early on, I think there was an acknowledgement that we had a lot of capabilities that could move into other beverages. A lot of the non-out beverages that we're seeing explosive growth, uh, kombucha, teas, cold brew coffee, all of those used similar production technologies to, to our installed base. So um, it was kind of born out of necessity, looking at the assets we had and you know how might we use those in a broader way, uh, recognizing that we had core expertise uh, around beverages in particular, distribution and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I, I'd say that shift wasn't as difficult. I think people pretty quickly got their head around that. That's good. That's good. So, all right, fantastic. So a big shift, I guess, going from a brewing company to a beverage company, lets you do things like CPD beverages. How, how did you get into it? Give us a little bit of the history. I guess it's, a, it's technically a joint venture. But, yeah. you know, how, how, what was the journey to get into that and what led you to this current position? Then I'd love to hear about how you're going to disrupt the marketplace by uh, being a leader in uh, CBD beverages. Yeah, thanks. Well, I, I didn't mention that in my introduction. So I'm currently leading a company called Tress Beverages, which is a uh, cannabis-infused beverage business. So all non-alcoholic beverages infused with, you know, any number of cannabinoids from CBD to THC to combination and, and continuing to explore others. Uh, we are operating only in federally legal markets, which for the moment is only in Canada. That's the, the scope of uh, where we're focused. And uh, yeah, it was a personal passion project for me. And pretty early on when I started the, the role leading innovation for Molson Coors, there was a lot of evidence that cannabis was going to disrupt alcohol in general and beer in particular. Uh, and, but it wasn't obvious how we might get into that business. And it was just through some kind of early exploration discussion with other entrepreneurs that we, that we were able to come across a compelling business idea and, and business model around cannabis infused beverages, which of course capitalized on the core skill set and expertise of a Molson course, uh, but also had a lot of gaps around know-how and cannabis production. And and that's where we decided we needed to go look for a partner. Um, But it was a, it was a long, long journey um, to, to launch a business Uh, and, uh, you know, feel really proud of the work the team did and and equally uh, the support of the the executives uh, at Molson Coors and and Hexo, our cannabis partner Uh, and the board. It was, it was just, um, yeah, it was, it was really impressive to see how people got behind it. And uh, here we are today with a well-capitalized business about to launch our, our first set of cannabis beverages. It sounds like a little bit of the wild West right now in that, in that space. And how, how, how do you blend your, you know, your, your, the fact that you're in a, in effect, a startup, but you're capitalized by a, by a large multinational. 
how how do you play the best of both to try and you know come out as a come out as a winner? I mean, it's a highly innovative and disruptive marketplace, and it, you know, again, to me as an outsider, it doesn't seem like there are any clear winners yet. How are you going to try and make sure you are one of those winners? Uh, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, I mean, the first thing I'd say is commitment to amazing products, uh, commitment to educating consumers in the marketplace around responsible use. And the third thing would be creating a business that operates a little bit differently. Uh, and maybe I can take each of those and just kind of expand on them a little bit, but on the first one around creating amazing products, uh, and we, we brought together two, two companies, each with their own expertise, Hexo and cannabis and Molson Coors and beverage. And we, we've built a, a world-class facility in a small Ontario town called Belleville, which is you know, roughly halfway between Toronto and Montreal. Uh, and the expertise that we were able to bring to that to create uh, just amazing beverages from formulation to the quality checks to making sure there's no oxygen, which will lead to the, you know, off notes in the, in the package. Um, I mean, we just couldn't have done it without the, the expertise of both partners. So, uh, and, and we invested uh, considerably behind being able to realize that vision. So, I think that, that is one that certainly differentiates us. On, on, the, on the second one around responsible use, I, I do believe that, you know, certainly this is the, I mean, I believe in it fundamentally from a values perspective, promoting responsible use. Uh, if I'm more mercenary about it, I look at the alcohol business, and that's a really important part of how that business manages itself, is, is being clear and responsible around its product. So, at Trust, we're launching, unlike some of the beverages, cannabis beverages you might find in the U.S. that are 100 milligrams of THC for a little 500 ml bottle, uh, will be somewhere between 2.5 milligrams and 10 milligrams for, wow. for single serve. And Big really, really important mandate from our, our shareholders and, and, and that we hold uh, kind of really closely as part of our core mission is, is um, products that you can sample, you can feel the onset really quickly so you can kind of self-manage how much you're consuming uh, the right levels for you, uh, and then equally investing parts of our profit in education and uh, communication to the to the community at, at large. And then the the third thing around a, a different kind of business. Th this is probably the most tricky. One of my observations in working for a large company in innovation is that I th is I just believe fundamentally that the entrepreneur ecosystem is better set up in today's world to deliver truly breakthrough products. And a simple example I'd give of that is uh, craft beer. I think it's well known at least well around the world, but certainly North America that they captured a disproportionate share over a decade or more. And I believe fundamentally part of that was the ecosystem they had. So you've got a bunch of craft brewers brewing beer in the back. They bring it out to the front. They put it in front of their, Customers, they try it, they like it, they make some more. They don't like it, they never make it again. But that 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 product to feedback loop and con continuous adjustment was so fast allowed them, I believe, to hone in on what consumers wanted much more quickly than the typical packaged goods, which is you know put something out there, do a lot of focus groups. You know, by the time you get something to market, you're, you're the opportunity may have passed. 
Uh, and then you put a whole bunch of money distribution and otherwise behind it that that may or may not work. And so, so I think as I think about trust, part of what we're, we're really working to implement is how can we create a different kind of product development cycle, product launch cycle that's you know lower cost, allows us to test and learn, create communities of drinkers and customers that can give us feedback uh, that we can continuously improve because this is new to the world uh, and I mean, there are no illusions that we're going to get it perfect in, in the first right. go around. And so I, to answer that question of what are we doing to set ourselves up to make ourselves different is, is build a company that is continuously learning, iterating, uh, and moving faster than our competitors. How you got that tension right between large corporates and that, you know, fast moving innovation, you know, entrepreneurial ecosystem. I mean, a lot of us have tried that and it's, it's, it's a hard task. I mean, just love to hear what are some of the key learnings? I mean, you said it was a long journey. What are some of the key learnings that you look back now in hindsight and go, wow, I wish somebody had told me these three things, right? Because mm. you know, th- that would have been seriously helpful. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I can't say we've got it right yet. I, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing more of an intent than, Kind of actual uh, accomplishment. So, uh, I mean, I think part of, I, I'm not sure if I kind of look back and it's probably more on things that have gone well so far. I think one of the things large companies do really well are controls and, um, you know, financial controls or, or otherwise. And in an industry that's as heavily rate regulated as cannabis beverages, we absolutely brought that from our, our large shareholders. And I think that gave us a, a leg up uh, versus some of our competitors around that that discipline. So in, in a way, I guess that kind of that foundation is is more solid to build upon, uh, and that allows us to take more risks at the front end of the business. Um, I guess a second thing I would say, which is not something we've executed yet, uh, but trying to find a way that replicate replicates the entrepreneurial ecosystem more than the big company. So I think one of the risks that we still face as a business, most of the people at Trust are come from larger companies uh, that we kind of default back to the focus groups. And uh, you know, so us building a you know, connection to incubators or uh, venture capitalists or just building a really strong connection to that entrepreneurial community uh, looking for key companies that we can, or entrepreneurs we can invest in or with. Uh, that's something that's working in front of us, but, but I'm really clear that will be part of our success model. I mean, I mean, just one little question on that is, I mean, how did, how did, how are you getting that right in terms of being, so to speak, the outsiders and, and not being pushed out of the system, right? Cause you, you're in a big, big system. So how have you managed to keep organically, connected that they haven't just rejected you as an organism? Well, I, again, I'm speaking about future intent versus actual side. So they may reject us yet. I don't know. Uh, but what we are uh, striving to get the balance right, I, I mean, I, I really believe in founder-led businesses. And I think one of the things uh, that we want to do is ensure that the founders of any business that we partner with continue to have a really strong role and voice and ability to see through their vision uh, and in a lot of ways, we're, we're just there to provide advice or 
as required and, and, uh, and capital to, to help them realize the vision. And, and I think, you know, putting in place kind of clear thresholds around, you know, when we might invest at various stages of their business so that everyone's clear on that will be important. But, but mostly it's just recognizing our role in supporting entrepreneurs uh, achieving their vision. If, if I could kind of summarize some of the fantastic things I, I heard. Uh, first is congratulations on moving the maturity level of innovation in corporate Molson cores when you're in the innovation role from, I think you said you're at a 54% up to a 98% in terms of how far you got the company on the innovation scale. That's, that's fantastic. And the lessons I took to do that were you said you got to have clear goals. Uh, among the clear goals, you needed to have, obviously, some financial goals. You needed to talk about the types of innovation you were going to do and the pace on those innovations, but then how it was really important to get the capabilities down. And, and of, of course, you know, music to my ears from working with Eric Reese in the corporate entrepreneur community is the idea of thinking more like a startup. You're, you talked about an entrepreneur residence, which is something I always advocate clients do to get someone like that. And think about almost, you know, almost like metered investments. You know, you talked about a quarter at a time. I mean, a venture capital fund or, you know, even, you know, you know you're going to give you so much money till you get to the next tranche. What are you going to give us? And then go, go forward and do that. So uh, really, really great learning. Uh, to me, one of the key, I, I would say to you, uh, great success things is I'm sure you were part of Molson Coors changing their name from uh, Molson Coors Brewing to Molson Coors Beverage Company, which obviously represents a great vision and what they're, uh, uh, what they're doing. And then if I had to summarize what I heard about your, your JV at Trust Beverage, uh, I'm just fascinated by combining the big company and the small company, the expertise you talked about, the responsible use, which personally, big hats off for me. I've always been someone who's very, very committed to uh, responsible marketing and products and everything like that. And I think that's another uh, trait of people who join the corporate entrepreneur community. Um, but again, the, the, the top one on top of that is trying to understand how startups work and trying to be more entrepreneurial, more startup-like. I, I remember you were kind enough to help us out on a panel, I believe going all the way back to August last year at the Moody's in New York City. And we talked about, you know, do you work, you know, are you going to do innovation inside of a corporation? You're going to do it with startups, or are you going to do something? I think we we kind of quasi termed termed it a hybrid model, where you're going to go try and be a startup as you can, which is exactly what you're doing, but you've got backing by a corporate partner. I think that's really really fascinating to do, and you know, at the end of the day, giving found you know people who are founders, you can do founders in the sense that you're doing it and supporting them and encouraging them and the the idea of how craft brewing, you know, has always been on the cutting edge. Why? Because you make it in the back room and you bring it right out to the front room and you give it to your customers. I, I don't know how large corporations lost that connection to customers, but boy, they sure did. So hopefully they're going to get it back. So anyway, I think um, this was really, really, really insightful. Uh, I do hope we can have you back again. I want to wish you continued good success in your role. I'd like to tell folks who uh, would be looking for more of these podcasts, you can certainly go look us up on, uh, on Apple iTunes uh, under uh, You've Been Disrupted. So come join the movement. Find us at bit.ly forward slash disrupted today.